Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. I'm Gael and I am with Mark today. How's it going, Mark? Awesome, thank you. And thank you for joining the podcast. If you want to find all the notes of everything we're going to talk about today, you can find them on notoryhacker.com slash upgrade dash content. Not content upgrade, that's another post, so be careful. Upgrade dash content. And yeah, before we get started, there has been a new Google update that seems to have affected people again. It's kind of like... It feels like kind of like for earthquakes, you know, where there's like the main earthquake that happened on August 1st and the replicas coming after. It feels like, feels like kind of similar this time. And this time, actually, health emission has been affected. It's a little bit early to say what happened or anything. So we're not really going to talk about this today. It doesn't mean we won't talk about it. But if you put a health emission in Ahrefs, you'll see we have lost some traffic. It's kind of still rolling out. So how much we're losing in the end, how to tell at this point. It is double digits, definitely. So we'll see what happens. Could be a good case study to work on trying to fix that. But our other sites were either unaffected or went up with the update. So it's it's just one of the sites. It just happens to be the one site that we share with you guys, which is unfortunate. But we'll talk about that later. It's hard to tell what's going on right now. But one thing that seems to be happening with all these updates is that the people that go the extra mile in terms of content seem to either be not affected or gain higher rankings for these kind of updates. So we felt that today was probably a good idea to talk about how to quote-unquote level up your content. And, and to me, as I'm seeing all these things happening right now, like it seems that Google is making a lot of updates with core algorithm right now, and nothing is related to links. It just almost feels like links is settled now and everyone kind of figured out how to do links. And yeah, you should have links to your site, but you need to do more than that now to have an edge and actually take the top rankings in Google, right? Yeah, it kind of felt like previously, if as long as you had like a a good enough article, then everything else, like who got number one was not entirely, but largely about links versus now it seems like there's more nuance in that, like what is uh, good enough content? Well, basically now everyone that's kind of competitive kind of figured out links to some extent, like provided you have a decent domain authority and you have your tactics that work for your site in terms of building links to content. And we have it for our site now. It's like, you know, it's not a challenge for us to build links to any given page at this point. And to the big players, it's not a challenge, not anymore. Like everyone figured it out in a white hat way, etc. So it feels like now what really makes the edge is what's on your page. And what Google is looking at right now, nobody knows. It's like, okay, you hear about this eat stuff, etc. And now this new update literally just like obliterates some people with like strong eat, removes the gains that people had on August 1st, etc. So nobody knows. And we talked about that in, we have a podcast about that. We'll link to it in the show notes. Show notes are on autoryhacker.com slash upgrade dash content. But what's on your page very important. Google cares about their user. They want people to trust Google results. And so... In case you don't know, and it's, I had this talk with Mark Jenner from Atari Hacker Pro, one of our most active members. He's like, well, if you don't know, just focus on user experience. Do you know Google is looking after it? I'm like, yeah, actually, just focus on that for now. And that's probably where we'll start if we try to fix health ambition. It's just user experience. 
and I have several ideas, especially in terms of ads, etc. We can do a better job. So, so yeah. So like now we're gonna talk about five tactics that you can use to level up your content that will enhance user experience, and that they're not necessarily an answer to these updates, but they are things that will prevent you from being affected by similar updates in the future, whether you've been affected this time or you know you might be affected by a future one. So do you want to pick the first one? Yeah, sure. So the first one we've got in our list is to to run real life tests uh, to cre- essentially create original data to which to base. And this is kind of it applies to info content as well. But the the kind of idea comes from reviews, like really doing kind of extensive testing in your product reviews. And there are many very good examples of of sites that do this. But the one that I think illustrates this point. Probably the best is a site called moderncastle.com. And they basically review vacuum cleaners. That's pretty much all they do, I think. They have some like furniture stuff on there. They're pretty new site as well. They're like domain rating 29. So we're not talking the wire cutter or anything. Domain rating 29. Anyone listening to this podcast can reach that level, you know? Yeah, the site doesn't look fantastic by any means. Like it's nice, but it's nothing special. But what is special is the kind of just how far they really go with their reviews. So when they're testing vacuum cleaners, they actually create this like test indoors where they have like different kinds of litter. So they have like rice or uh, like kitty litter, cereal. They pour some sugar on the floor, a bunch of stuff like that. And then basically test each vacuum cleaner one by one to see which one does the best at sucking it up and getting rid of the the dirt. And no one else is really doing that. You know, even top review sites, more often than not, when they're talking about it, they talk about the manufacturer's numbers, like how much, I don't know how you measure vacuum cleaners, but I presume there's some kind of metric for suction or or something like that. But they talk about those and they kind of talk about them in a just kind of more abstract way. This is like really a practical real life example of of kind of how it's going to be used in uh you know in an average situation even if you know you're not the type of person that drops this kind of stuff on the floor the fact that they've gone through that process of like creating that experiment shows in a very very compelling way that they have actually researched vacuum cleaners or if it's talking about one like this specific vacuum cleaner in a lot of detail to be able to you know produce content at this level Therefore, that makes you kind of trust them more. So, I mean, I just think it's a fantastic example of a site that kind of shows you just how far you can go. Yeah, I really like it because it's like also a site that could be one of our listeners. It's not the wire cutter. It's not like a site that was bought for a lot of money. It's not all of that. It's something that someone like you and me could have done. And that's important because I feel like when we talk about these things, a lot of people roll their eyes, right? They're like, oh, like this is only for the big guys. I can never do that. It's impossible, etc." I guarantee you, these guys, they don't have that much traffic, actually. I mean, like Ahrefs says 40k a month, probably is a little bit more. Probably like they're like 100,000 just per month or something. They are like lower than many Atari Hacker Pro members we have, etc. And it's, it's doable. It's just like it's the way to go. And in terms of trust, I mean, I guarantee you the conversion rate they have on their side is probably much higher than some freelance writer who wrote this. And I think I think the big elephant in the room that needs to be addressed here is this cannot be done by freelance writers or it's very difficult. Like you can't go on text broker and get some guy do that for you. And that makes it much more difficult to get content on that level. However, 
this content does tend to, you know, the success rate of content, you know, like when you publish an article, any article, the chances of it ranking for its keywords, depending on how good your SEO, you know, it's going to be between 5% and 35%, let's say, or 50% or whatever. And But like any guru, whatever, gets a lot of their content fail. It's normal. It's part of the process. And most of your traffic is going to come from very few pages on your site. But the success rate of this kind of content, and anytime we went to that extent of, uh, through a level of effort on Atari Hacker, when we did tests of tools as well, we've done that quite a bit, where we like tested email tools, etc. The success has always been much more frequent than when we not bother creating original data. So yeah, it costs 10 times more to get a piece of together like that. And you cannot just hire some guy on ProBlogger or on TextBroker or whatever and tell him, go and create original data unless you make it all up. But because the rate of success is so much higher, it's kind of justified. It's like it's instead of creating a bunch of content that will have zero success, well, you have a lot less waste. And so you can afford to spend more and more time and more money on each piece of content. And, and I yeah, feel... I, I just want to add to that, though. I think it is possible. I mean, we're not saying here that you can't use freelance writers. You have to write everything yourself. But And this is something which we preach a lot in our courses, is that like creating the standard of content yourself by writing you know, the first 10 articles is what we normally say, but it can be more, it can be less. But creating content of the standard which you expect other people, other writers to create yourself so that you can establish that standard, then it's much easier to, to bring in writers and say, hey, okay, we've reviewed vacuum cleaners doing this. I want you to, now to go review, I don't know, washing machines or irons or something. You create a similar kind of testing environment and the content has to be kind of at least this good. If you have that, you're much more likely to be able to do that. Of course, there's with, with those kind of products, there's logistics with like physical products and stuff, but it's still possible. I think... What you're saying, Gail, is you can't just really get here's say to a writer, oh, here's 100 keywords, write me 100 articles kind of thing. Yeah. Sure. I mean, we did do it. I mean, when Lewis was writing reviews for Atari Hacker, it wasn't me, right? So we managed to actually hire someone to write reviews at a level where I was really happy with his writing, actually. So Lewis's reviews on Atari Hacker, the, many of them are some of the best posts on the site. And so they're really well worth reading and the testing did well, but he did spend a whole month writing without us publishing a single word of it when he started working with us. Mostly because, and I had to write the first ones as well. So the first ones I had to to, to do them myself and then show him. And then for a month he tried, but then I felt he was just rehashing the sales page and, and we talked a lot. And eventually he got it and he got it really, really well. Like he was really good at the end. And so it's possible, but... Like any valuable employee, it's going to take time. When I was saying that, it's like, you can't just hire a guy and expect him to come up with this level of content on his first try. And you will need to invest time and effort into that person so that they can do it. And as you said, you should definitely do the first one yourself and do it to the best you can, even if it takes an incredible amount of time and just it's the benchmark. It's what you need to to reach. And I think overall, it's also changing the way we're approaching content and definitely the way we're going to be producing content in 2018. We have been known for blanketing the internet with a lot of articles. I mean, at some point, we had like 400 articles for health ambition on Google Drive or something. It's true. And I don't think that's going to happen again. You know, I don't think that's the direction we're going for at this point. And I've mentioned it several times. It was well before 
this update on health emission, once again, we'll talk more about it when it's actually stabilized. But it feels like you cannot mass produce this content. Even huge sites like the Wirecutter, you know, they release like five pieces a month or something. And they're like a big team, I'm, I'm sure, you know. So you cannot mass produce this content. It's all about having a high hit rate and you need to have a high hit rate for it to work. But it does seem to gain more and more ground over average content to the point where it's becoming worth it to really push for it. That's sort of does that mean? Yeah, I, I, I think in terms of like value proposition, because you're getting so like much higher percentage of your content is like hitting the not just page one, but like really the top spots on the SERP. You have less content wastage. And therefore, you can afford to spend, you know, five times, ten times what you were previously paying on a on a piece of content if you want to go to that that kind of like approach. I think where this is more daunting or intimidating for you know the average sit back and farm out the content authority site owner is that it's probably going to be a lot more work in like setting and ensuring those standards are are kept. Like I know from, we have experience of this when like hiring writers or even if you use like agencies or platforms like text broker, the quality you get back, like it's, it's good. It's good enough in, in many cases, but if you want to be hitting this, like let's call it epic content standards, like the main thing that's going to get you there is just your stubbornness and making it as, as good as possible. That's why Gail's very good at like pushing back and like calling a spade a spade when this kind of thing happens. To the kind of frustration of many writers we've we've worked with in, in in the past, I would say. But at the end of the day, like when you're trying to achieve super high quality content like that, it's necessary. And if if you have to be able to sort of recognize the nuance between something which is average, good, great, and then something which is absolutely epic. So it's it's, it's a tough thing which requires like a lot of effort on 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 the part of the, the site owner or whoever's sort of responsible for for quality standards. I mean I really feel like an article that stands out is an article that comes up with information that could not be Googled before. That's a big issue. It's like there's basically a standard. Like in the industry, most freelance writers would just you give them a keyword, they're gonna Google it, they're gonna make a summary of everything that they read on the top on the page of Google and kind of rehash that into a new article that says exactly the same stuff, right? You know, that works to some extent, and we've done that many times, and, and we've been made good money from it. However, this is not epic. <laughs> this is just okay. And yeah, there's there's a lot of content that we've put out there that doesn't have that, but there's also a lot of content we've put out there that has that. So for example, one of the latest Roundups reviews that Lewis did for us before he moved on to do his own link building agency now is the email stuff. And he, he was reviewing email tools and so on and i was like you know what let's let's buy all of them let's import the list of health ambition into all of them and let's run our email marketing for a week with one with each tool and see which one gets the best delivery for example so that's a very objective you know sign of which one does a better job at least at this very very crucial thing for an email marketing tool which is actually getting the email into the inbox of people and there was massive differences and there was like one company that tried to do a test like this before but it, once again it was limited and it wasn't like as real as us doing it on a real site etc and i feel that this added a ton of value yeah, I think I think I think in that in our case we actually used like as you said like the actual health emission list, but we yeah. with the numbers we were doing we're talking about like sending, I think it was like five hundred or a thousand emails per tool versus you know like 
a few dozen, I think, that the other other tests had, had done. So having those big numbers. And on the real list as well, right? Like on the real, people that didn't know they were even included in the yeah, test. Exactly. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of simulating real life situations in, in, in that sense. Yeah. So being able to do to produce this kind of data, and I was really trying to push hard for that when we were doing these tool reviews. Hopefully they'll come back next year. This is something that could not be ruled. It did not exist on the internet. And we created it. And aiming for this this stuff, yeah, it's gonna be hard. As I said, it's gonna take ten times more time. And you know, there was an interview of Brian Lamb, I think is his name, of the guy who created the wire cutter asking how much he spends on a piece of content. And he said that an average piece of content would cost a little bit above $10,000. That's how much he would spend on content, paying people, buying items, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, paying editors. And so, yeah, yeah, this site was massively profitable in the end. And I feel I feel it's it's hard, but if you want to be still be here in 10 years, it's the way you're going to have to do it. I mean, it, it does feel like... Google is dialing the, um, is pushing the dial towards like higher authority sites slash owned by huge brands, et cetera, levels at which most people who listen to this podcast cannot aspire. Like, you know, there are 80 plus sites, et cetera. And the way to, to fight that back is to, is to be willing to do what they're not willing to do. And they're really good at hiring freelance writers, putting a lot of average content out there, et cetera. But if you're, you're able to do this kind of stuff, which is much, 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 much harder to scale. And because there'll be companies that cost them much, much, much more money to produce to the point where it's probably not even that profitable, then you're able to carve your little slot in your niche that's very hard and it's very hard to remove you from there. And these kind of updates that happen are going to affect you a lot less or maybe affect you for the better. Any other thing you want to say on this topic? Yeah, I just want to say a few, few things actually. So, for, first of all, when you, when we're talking about these kind of tests, you know, you don't have to go to the total extreme and create some, you know, scientific double-blind randomized placebo-controlled experiment that's going to be published in a journal or something like that. It's not realistic to to do that for for many, probably for most products actually. So, it's fine to take something as kind of real life as as you can. I think with our list, email marketing list test, when we took the health ambition list, we tried to split it equally according to like roughly similar past deliverability rates or something like that. So we tried, we tried to kind of make it fair as as fair as possible. And I think it was given the circumstances, but you just don't don't like stress too much about that. I think if you come in with like a perfectionist approach, you can kind of miss the miss the boat a bit and not actually get anything 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 done. Yeah, it's easy to go overboard with that, to like to just try to make it so perfect that you never release anything. And it's happened a few times to us as well. To and many pieces of content were never released because of that. So it's quite dangerous. And one thing as well is like if you look at this eat definition by Google, experience, it's experience authority and trust. These real life tests, they show you real life experience. So they, they get you the first letter of the eat. Authority, I would say, is more related to like diplomas and and being recognized by other people. I would actually argue like that this is like way better. I mean, if you're buying a vacuum cleaner, do you want someone who has a PhD in vacuum cleaners with a link to their? LinkedIn? <laughs> if someone spent like seven years doing a PhD in vacuum cleaners, I'm sorry for their. You lives. know what I mean? It's do you want like... that person telling you what's the best one, or do you want someone who's actually run a, a test on? the five that you're considering buying. Yeah, and that's probably why experience comes up before authority in the list, you know? And because because that's that's what people agree with us. 
But experience creates authority as well. Exactly. It creates authority. And, and experience doesn't mean it's the perfect experiment. It just means you have been confronted to what you're talking about in real life in any shape or form, and you're able to relate to that in your content. And so if Google is actually looking at this eat stuff, which we don't know, to be honest, but if they are, this is really valuable to do this kind of like creating new data. Creating new data feels like the way to go, basically. Obviously, how would you do that on health ambition? It's a little bit more complicated. If we're testing supplements, you know, then maybe we should hire a lab to test with supplements and actually check what's inside and things like this, etc. I think that's that's where you should go if we were trying to apply this kind of stuff. It, it's possible in most niches. How to do it, I can't tell you because it's going to vary so much between niches that this is where you get need to get to know your niche and you can't just pick an author on Odiga and write an article about it. Next one. Sure. Uh, so the next one is definitely easier to implement, which I'm sure a lot of people will be happy because it's a great point where we made the first one, but it's probably one of the hardest things to implement in terms of creating content. We're aware of that. It doesn't mean you shouldn't try. But the second one is expert quotes. And that's really useful if you're a marketer and you're not a huge expert in your niche and uh, or that you're talking about a subtopic that you're not a huge expert in. So we talk about authority sites, but you know what? There is some people who are better than me at penalty removal. There are some people that are better than me, better than me and email marketing, et cetera. I'm a bit of a jack of all trades and I can talk about most things to better than 90% of people. But there's some people who spend their entire days on just one subtopic I focus on and they know a lot more than me about things. And so one way that we tried to fight that and try to create the best content also on Atari Hacker was to email people and ask them for quotes. So we'd literally just take a subtopic we're talking about. Uh, I think we did it for buying and selling websites on Atari Hacker. And then it was like, oh, how do you maximize the value of your site? And then we'd just send them that and we'd add it in the middle of the article. Now, a lot of people do these expert roundup posts, which are more and more garbage as time passes. And the questions are pretty bad. I get asked for a lot of them. A lot of them I don't reply, and it just feels like people were just milking the social media of the experts they're asking. But what I'm telling you is write a normal article, and then for a subtopic, just find someone who's really good at it, email them, ask them the core question, like, hey, how do you increase the value of a business? So on health ambition, what is important when picking a probiotic supplement? For example, asking that to a doctor or to someone who is a gastroenterologist would be a really good idea. And that gives you, once again, a lot of trust because someone who is really, really laser focus on the topic comes and gives you something that's probably more enlightening than what your freelance writer has been writing on your site. And these people get essentially free advertising on your site. So one thing I like about this tactic as well is that you can build connections with influencers and or experts in your industry, leverage their expertise on your site and do it in a giving way, in a way where you're like, well, I'm going to feature you on my site and you don't have to do anything else than writing three sentences, giving some specific insight on that one question. And I think that's uh, that's kind of like reverse outreach where you're actually giving links instead of, give, of asking for them. But then you can go back to that person and ask them to promote the article and all link to it and all come back with another article to them in the future with a warm connection and get them to promote you. So I think it's it's pretty cool to do the, the quotes. The other thing I would I want to add is it really does give you kind of new insights and like it, it's a good way to kind of level up your own knowledge of a topic just by asking topic experts. I think a good example was in our the Authority Hacker article we did earlier this year on 
buying and selling websites. I think Perrin asked quite, it was Empire Flippers and FE a couple times for some questions. Also, like, uh, I think it was Kevin who had bought a website previously. And just bringing in that extra insight into the article, like, it really added, like, a lot of extra information in it. But it also, like, improved our, I'm talking about, like, the authority hacker understanding of the buying and selling process, like, considerably. And it's not an article designed to you know, be a roundup so to get other people to to promote it. Like I don't even know they, they did promote it, but it, it was really just to add that extra kind of like oomph into the the content. It's a regular article in that sense. It was kind of funny actually because when we talked about to FE International and Empire Flippers, they both knew the other one would be in there. So they were kind of fighting to have the best answer and wanted to see the other one's answer and try to write a better one, etc. But one thing that it does as well is it kind of like creates a break in your article. So if your article is very heavy or very long, people get like lose attention. And bringing this quote in the middle of the article actually kind of like opens up a, a sub-thread to your article and renews attention because it's talked in it's in a different voice. It's often talking about personal stories, etc. It's a breathing space in the middle of a long article as well. So not only does it add more authority to the site, more authority to the article, more trust, better insights but it's also most likely going to increase your time on site just because it's adding some punctuation to a really big article so i really like it i think it's really really undervalued the power of adding quotes of experts to your site and overall if these people have also some online presence etc just putting their name on your site and having them tweet it etc it can't hurt it can only help to, to what extent, once again, I don't have the Google algorithm in front of me and I haven't run extensive tests, so it's hard to tell. But what I know is it's not going to hurt you. So, yeah, I really, 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 really like adding quotes. And the good thing as well is you can go back to your articles and add them in there. So you can, if you have content that's doing okay or that yeah, could do better or whatever, it's so easy to just do some outreach, get some quotes. And then even ask for a link to these people after they provided you a quote or something. I mean, at some point, I'm sure we're going to have some kind of tutorial on how to do that. Um, but uh, but it's really a win-win for everyone. So it's really good. Anything else on the topic of expert quotes? No, that's all. All right. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah. So this one's around like basically adding media to your, your posts. I guess typically when we think of doing that, it would be, oh, let's go to deposit photos or something. Some, some stock photo site, find six images, downsize them a little bit, and then stick them on there. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about going further with your, your image. So I, I feel like there's a lot of posts these days on, on many different niches, which are just full of stock photos. And it's, it's kind of somewhat obvious that they're stock photos. And it's almost getting to the stage now where it's kind of like it's not really adding that much to it. So in order to go a little bit further than that, there are some options. So an authority hacker on some of our more recent articles, not that, they, not we, that we have that much recent articles, but... I you know, are, those it, who are less from, than 18 months old. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been using a, an illustrator to create these just kind of like custom images or mini explainer graphics, as we call them. And it really is just about the size of a regular stock photo. And it, it's just, it explains one single point. Often uh, in the case of like the buy and sell websites article, it can be something like a, a process flow. We use that a lot in Authority Hacker Pro as well. It's kind of, I guess the idea came from like the blueprint icons, you know, do this, then do this, then do this. 
But on some of our other sites, we use them to explain, you know, more complex topics in just like a bite-sized kind of way. And I think we pay, was it like 30 bucks, 25 bucks, something like that? About $30, yeah. Yeah, per, per illustration. Some are more if they're, you know, a little bit longer. But yeah, it's it's very good value, I find. And this, this again, is particularly true if you're if you're doing kind of epic content that you know has a very good chance of sticking and like, you know, doing well. It makes it much easier to justify these kind of costs in there as well. So it's a, I think it's a great way to make your article stand out. It's a great way to explain complex information. It breaks up the article more. And it also, it's a sort of source potentially of link building as other people can use your images and link to you. Hopefully you can always reverse image search them and find people who are not and then, you know, ask for the link, that kind of thing. But yeah, this is this is a great way to add some non-text content to your your post it's not just just another stock image let me just explain how these are created etc and how i found an illustrator so the one way i found an illustrator and it's it's probably one of the best ways is i found him on fiverr uh, the guy i'm using and uh, you can go to the people who create logos and find people who have the style that you like i, I kind of like the like really minimalist bright color flat styles etc so i kind of go for that but if you're more into like vintage style etc you can go for these too but they all have a portfolio. And so hire them, buy a logo, whatever. It's basically the cost of the interview. And then just when they deliver and you like what they've delivered to you, then literally just offer them a job. Just be like, hey, I just need regular illustrations. Can you do it for me? And now, how do you brief them? Writing briefs can take forever, and I hate it. So the easiest way I've found to work with illustrators is to take a piece of paper to draw whatever I want them to do in a really bad way. I say I'm going to give Balash, the person who writes the notes for the podcast, some photos of the stuff I draw for the illustrator. <laughs> and it's like, it's kind of a joke. Like literally, I'm looking at my desk right now. There's like six hand-drawn stuff. And at some point, I bought an iPad to draw on it. In the end, I just picked a piece of paper. So don't waste your money. In your car and you can't like view the page right now. Just imagine like when your five-year-old comes home and like, you know, wins first prize in the class for, you know, their their new piece of art, a picture of you. That's that's kind of the level we're talking about here. So you don't need to be an artist by any stretch of the imagination to do this. No. I think we'll put a few photos. It's gonna be funny. I'll, I'll give the URL again. Uh slash upgrade dash content. And so instead of writing a long brief, you literally just draw what the illustration is. And what's important as well is I've tried many times to just give articles and be like, hey, read this and try to do this. They can't do that. <laughs> it doesn't work. And so it's better for you to process the information and, and put it in a in a very simple way on paper that looks horrible. And then after that, they just make it nice. And it's it's very quick. You don't have to write any brief, just send an image. And it works very well. So yeah, Fiverr plus drawing for illustrators is kind of the way now everyone's going to do it. Um, but trust me, I actually believe that, as, you know, as you were talking about stock images, I was thinking that maybe one of these updates that Google is doing is indexing stock images and penalizing people who use them as, as illustrations. Because for me, that would be a signal of like people who don't try very hard on their content. So I don't know. I'm just I'm just guessing. All I know is that pure pure speculation, but it's an interesting point. Yeah, it's just one of these things where where, where it's easy. And I know it's like there's this absolute deal with for deposit photo that comes every year. It's fucking cheap. But if it's cheap, it also means it's easy. If it's easy, everyone that's lazy does it, and then you're just together with bad company. So we do use stock photos on health ambition. Interesting point. We don't use stock photos on any other site. 
apart from our very famous character illustration for Atari Hacker that's going away now in about two weeks, I would say. So I, I wanted to add a couple other points to that because we're not just talking about custom images as a thing. There's a few other things you can do here. Illustrated screenshots. So if you're in a niche like a Authority Hacker where you're dealing with a lot of like software and doing things on your computer, we have like loads and loads and loads of screenshots to illustrate kind of what we're doing, the step-by-step process of that usually annotated with like arrows and call-outs and stuff to point out key things. That adds a lot of value, I think, to to a post. I, I feel sometimes like when I'm reading some of these longer online marketing posts, I actually just go from screenshot to screenshot, like maybe scanning the titles, like seeing what's being communicated there. I think it's a, it's a good way to kind of like get a feel for, for what's going on quite quickly in an article. Gives that kind of like over-the-shoulder feel that you're kind of, uh, that the, the audience is with you along the way. If you're in a non- like computer related uh, space, then, you know, taking your own photos, it's a good, good idea. So if you're, I don't know, making a recipe or something, you can do the same thing. Just take, just actually make the recipe and go like step by step. Here's when I added the carrots. Here's when I added the potatoes, you know, that kind of stuff. And and it adds just infinitely more flavor to the, no pun intended, to the um, recipe than just kind of writing out a step-by-step list of list of instructions. I'm not a fan, particularly fantastic cook. So when someone says, you know, chop the potatoes, you know, it kind of it really helps me. I need to see what that looks like on a piece of paper because, uh, sorry, not on a piece of paper, in a, in a photograph, because uh, I'm like, well, because <laughs> like, well, how thick do, does each bit need to be? You know, like all sorts of little questions like that. And it just helps me to kind of visualize, I guess, the, the, the recipe more. So, you know, taking your own photos is, a, is another, another option here. We also have like audio visual uh, here as well to, to talk about. So in Authority Hacker, we have, I think after this one, 119 podcast episodes. We have more than that, actually. Yeah, we have the, the mini series as well, but we have a lot either way. And we have some which cover really specific topics like how to choose a domain name. So that this is a topic that comes up many times in, in lots of different articles, which when we're talking about starting sites or you know starting an Amazon site or whatever it is. The point is we there's an opportunity here to embed that. So all our podcasts are hosted on SoundCloud. It's very easy to create like a little embed code and just embed that in an article. It's very easy to embed that podcast in another article which isn't really where the focus isn't really on choosing a domain name but we can add this in there for people who are are interested in it It, this kind of has like another interesting side effect for people who listen to at least you know increasing time on site it also is obviously a good way to drive traffic to your podcast as well and gain new subscribers that way and the interesting thing is you don't doesn't actually have to be your podcast if someone's hosting it on SoundCloud, you can embed their podcast on your on your page. So it's a good way to keep people on your site, uh, so without navigating away, but also provide them with with some content. So maybe instead of linking to someone else's podcast, you can just embed it on your site within uh, within a post in a relevant place. Yeah, we've done that a lot with YouTube videos on health ambition. Actually, it's kind of a hack. Basically, you can just grab a, a related YouTube video. People stay on your site and it proves your metrics. It helps them as well because getting more views equals ranking high on YouTube, et cetera. I'd say. I have noticed in some niches, yeah, there's a way to actually protect your videos from being embedded like that. 
And some people who have like really good content that obviously just gets embedded a lot, they actually block it. It doesn't happen very often, but it's, it's what, something to watch out for. What, what's also interesting is that a lot of videos on YouTube, there, it's literally just, you know, someone talking about a product that they use. Like it's not really done in a business or a commercial sense. So there's no intro or branding around it. And I understand like often a lot of the time it will look as if that someone from the website is being embedded on uh, because there's no intro, there's no mention of a, a brand. It's just, oh, hey, here, I'm using this product. Look at it, check it out. It does this, this, and this, and that's the video. So, you know, you can use that to your advantage or not, depending on on which side of the fence you're on, I guess. And another another thing to do there is you can actually create your own videos. This scares a lot of people because they don't like being in front of camera or they think you need some professional studio to do this. But the truth is any kind of like decent webcam, an iPhone, you know, any camera, you can record like a more than half decent video, just like summarizing a key point within your article or going into a bit more information about something else in your, your article that doesn't justify, you know, a whole super long video but you can add these into your your content as well it's just another way to uh to kind of change things up a bit yeah i mean if you have a phone that's less than two years old then then it's good enough to to start with videos it's like the the photos and videos are like so good it's like mark and i were out to take photos for the new authority site system site actually so we actually apply some of the stuff that we talk about in this podcast on this new site and we made our own photos and so on and uh, literally, we had a, a camera that costs that costed about like seven or eight hundred euros, like five years ago maybe. And we had a phone from this year, I had a OnePlus Six, and, uh, and and we took photos with both. And the photos were better from the phone than they were from the seven hundred euro camera, like by a large extent, actually, to the point where I it was it was an older camera, but yeah, it, it's uh, like five six phones. years old, like. Phones these days are like really good for this stuff. So, so yeah, don't think like the lack of materials should not stop you at this point. I mean, even video stabilization, stabilization is really good. If you have an Android phone from the last two years, most of them have really good stabilization. So, and so. yeah, it's a, it, we have all these things in our pockets now to, to do content that will require a lot of material before. It's not the most professional because if you buy a 10,000 euro camera, you still do a better job. But you don't need that to start, and and I think that's uh, that's the point as well. Is that it's not an excuse. The same way, it's not an excuse not to do real life tests and create original data because you're small. Same thing with creating photos and videos. Most phones will do a good job. Anything else you want to say about the topic of embedding media slash creating media, etc.? No. Nope. All right, I'll let you take the next one because that's the one you kind of wrote and i'm not sure exactly what we're going to talk about here <laughs> okay so this is about like really covering all the subtopics within the context of your your article so the idea here is to really get you thinking about subgroups of users and this is particularly relevant to roundup reviews so we, we talk a lot about this on the podcast so in health ambition we have articles I think it's like best multivitamin for women over 40, best multivitamin for women over 50, best multivitamin for women over 30, best multivitamin for this, for this, for that, and everything sort of else. If we were writing an article which is just dedicated to like best multivitamin, we could actually include all of these or at least many of these kind of subtopics within that grand article. Or even if we're at that lower level, so like best multivitamin for women over 50, 
we can break that down further because there's more than there's more than one group. Uh, so women over 50 can be broken down by by other subcategories as well. So really, what I'm trying to get get across here is that you should think of within an article the different use cases, particularly as a random review of of the product. So for for multivitamins, it may be age, it may be uh, sex, like male or female to do with some life event, you know, if you're pregnant, could do with like your financial constraint. So like if you're on a budget, maybe, you know, some people can't take multivitamin pills, so they need a powder or something that they can drink instead. There's so many ways to kind of slice and dice it. Uh, If it was, you know, authority hacker, and we're talking about email marketing tools, then I don't know, maybe it would be depending on, you know, what market you're in, if you're an affiliate or you're doing your own products, maybe it's like how many emails you're sending per day, maybe it's how big your list is, all sorts of ways you can kind of cut it. So rather than just producing one piece of content, which is advising someone on, you know, the best email marketing tool overall, which may not actually be the best for the person who's on a budget or the person who has a 2 million size email list, it's like kind of breaking it down further. And on health ambition, I think with a lot of our roundup reviews we were talking about, we would like pick a topic and then we would rate the top five. Uh, and we would talk about them, pros and cons of like all, all of these five. But I felt like a lot of people, once they've discovered and once they've read the mini review for like the number one product, then reading two, three, four, and five kind of was less relevant to their decision-making process at that stage. So a lot of the uh, screen real estate could then be perhaps redistributed towards you know other factors so maybe best best multivitamin if you're on a budget you know this kind of thing we which we talked about before yeah it's just really uh, getting people I, I guess the crux of this is try and think of try and break down whatever audience you think the article has into subgroups and try and actually address all of those within your content that's basically it yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that uh, the guys from Convertica, when they worked on uh, Health Ambition, did. And that's probably one of the things that worked the best. Just instead of having the top five, be like, hey, this one is, if you're on a budget, get this one. If you, And I guess for like women over 50, that definitely you talk about menopause at some point, et cetera, et cetera. And they're like, oh, if you, if you want the absolute best, get this one. If you want the best one, if you have an iron deficiency, get this one. And just overall, just when you make a list of bests, then just make the best for different situations rather than like nobody cares about number four out of five for best multivitamin. Like just, and, and this was a mistake that we've made and uh, we've definitely been working on fixing that. I mean, I, I wouldn't say it's a necessarily a mistake because there is a good argument that by directly comparing five or 10 products, you can, you know, evaluate them all and then better come up with the, what the best overall one is. So you still need to do that and you still need to show that you've done the comparison. It's just displaying the information. You can dedicate like less real estate to those, like those which are not number one specific subcategory. Yeah, fair enough. Let's jump on to the next point. And the next point, we're going to talk about formatting. Now, if you listen to podcasts from us like two years ago or whatever, this discussion is going to go in a very different way. Like usually when, when we talked about advanced formatting, what we tilt in my head was like, oh, more Strive content builder boxes, you know? Um, but that's really, we, we've gone back from this a lot. And um, uh, it, it's, just, it's just exciting that you can do anything you want on WordPress, that you can drag and drop and create fancy stuff. But usually less is more. And 
I hope to show a good example of that with the new authority hacker site. Essentially, the way we go for about it is just create a couple of elements and use them again and again and again. On the new authority hacker, there's literally like five or six elements that just we use. And we have quotes. So, you know, if we include authority quotes or our quotes or whatever in the articles, uh, we have tables, we have pro tips boxes, we have pros and cons, and we have call to actions. That's basically all we have. But we just make sure that they're very consistent. So it's kind of easy now with page builders. So Elementos, you know, Strive Architect, Breezy now sounds pretty cool as well. And, uh, and you, yeah, you just build them as a template and then you just bring up the same template every time so that every article is going to look the same. But overall, just breaking down the world of text with a little bit of formatting, but not too much, together with the custom illustrations especially, looks really cool. One of our newer sites, like the one that's going really well right now, is, is basically that. It's like there's a couple of elements we've built. We have custom illustrations. We have very consistent branding on everything, and it looks super clean. And uh, hopefully, Atari Hacker will be a good example that we can show you guys on how we do this these days, so uh, about two weeks of wait at this point. And one thing that's really important as well is when you work with writers to teach them about the elements that can be used in terms of formatting. And the way we do that is we have a demo page on our site with all the elements on there. And it's password protected. So in WordPress, on the top right, you know you have this published stuff. You can actually change it to be password protected. And once you do that, you can select the password and give the password to your writers with the URL. And if anyone else goes to this page, they're just going to be prompt for the password. If they don't have it, they cannot open the page. And you can index the page as well so that it doesn't create any trouble with Google. But it's really easy for writers to see it on the site. And you can take elements with real content in there just to show them as well. Another thing that's very important We've made the mistake many, many times. I hope we don't make it with the Notary Hacker, but we definitely need to recheck a dozen times before we put it live, is to make sure all these elements look good on mobile. So whether it's quotes, pros and cons, tables, etc. It's almost more important at this point to build for mobile first and desktop second. So that's what we try to do. And that's also why we try to favor things like single column elements and just stuff that doesn't stack on top of each other where it would be displayed horizontally on a desktop. But overall, yeah, putting a little bit of effort into formatting, not going too crazy, just a couple things that you can use to break up text can go a long way to make the content look more slick and more impressive to people, even if you're saying the same thing. Anything you want to say about this? Yeah, I just wanted to add that the fewer, so that first of all, the fewer elements you have help the others, like the elements that you do have stand out more. But you also get this thing where it's kind of like... We experienced this a lot on our sites, which had like lots of, it was mostly like the old TCB elements, but it started to look like a little bit like a sales page where just every bit of text was like in its own element. And it, it's like, it where's the article almost. So I forget which experiment we did, but there was one which was quite interesting where like a plain text, um, I think it was, I think it was to do with like the tables or something at the, the top of roundup reviews. Yeah, so there's a couple of experiments I saw where actual just like bullet point lists did better than these fancy, you know, product image tables in terms of conversion, which was quite interesting. So, you know, you you can have a have a little bit of that. The other thing is like it's massively simpler to upload and produce content when you don't have, you know, nine different elements, you know, different variations of those for every post. And it's also easier for like responsiveness, mobile design, you know, that that kind of thing. If you if you have more simple elements and not, you know, tables within tables and all sorts of weird and wonky stuff like that, which we've had that we've done before. So 
Yeah, it's we're definitely trying to simplify it. Although it's like a big complaint as well for people who pick up page builders. It's like how long it takes to put content together. It should be easy. I mean, like um, now we've reuploaded everything on the new Toriaka. So like that's 250 posts, I think, if you count the podcasts. It's, it's much, much faster. And, and I think that should be a benchmark to you. If it becomes too long to create content, that's an added cost or an added time sink for you that you should not be dealing with. Um, so formatting is good. But especially now that tools like Elementor have these theme builder that allow you to build a page around the content, you don't need to do fancy formatting to have a good looking site. You just need to work on the theme itself to, to look good and branded. And the content can stay fairly simple. In a new task, we literally just use the WordPress editor to put the content in. And it looks fine because the theme has been worked onto a level where everything around the content kind of like puts the content forward without the content needing itself, itself needing advanced formatting. So yeah, that's basically about this, but like working a little bit on your formatting and on your theme branding, it can go a long way. So I think we're going to wrap it up for this podcast. We're already at 52 minutes uh, recording, probably like 50 because I actually rambled and we're going to cut this at the beginning. But anyway, we literally live in a world where Google is changing its algorithm to the point where it feels like higher quality content gets more rewarded than people who try less. To the point where now for small guys like you and me, it's becoming more and more worth it to maybe forget this content meal of publishing five times a day, but rather focus on publishing five times a month for publishing stuff that is way above the competition. Lots of money can be made with websites, but What's happening now is because a lot of people are realizing that the investment required to make this money is increasing so that it's getting closer to the potential earning. And a lot of the things that we talked about today, they easily can be added to existing articles. And, and that was quite important when we researched this episode, because we want you to be able to go back to your content and update it. And I think we should make a podcast about updating content. We are going to be running a few experiments really soon on that so that we can kind of like have a complimentary podcast about that. So that's basically it. If you want to find the show notes for this episode and all my amazing drawings for the illustrator, you can find them on autoryhacker.com slash upgrade content. Thank you for listening. So if you enjoy this podcast, by the way, and you have iTunes, it would be super nice if you went over there and dropped us a review. That would help us just, you know, spread the podcast a little bit. And if you don't want to miss any other episode, just go ahead and subscribe. And we'll see you next week. Have a good day. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.